Hello and welcome to Hot Topics Live. I'm Peter Stjanovic, editor of hottopics.ht, and this is the first episode of our Feature of Work series in partnership with Okta. Okta protects you from top to bottom, whether you're on the cloud, on-premise, deploying new systems or integrating with others, Okta's vision is to enable every business to adopt every technology. Now, there's never been a better time to talk about the future of work. Back in March of this year, the entire global economy shifted in response to the pandemic. Countries came to a standstill, and where businesses could work, they were forced to work from home. We speak to leading technology leaders and business leaders about how they're coping personally, how their teams are coping, and how productivity, agility, and security are kept tight. Now, for this episode, I'm about to interview Guy Mason. Guy is the transformation lead at Born Leisure, which in of itself is a major player within the UK holiday and hospitality sectors, owning brands like Haven Holidays, Butlins, and Warner Leisure Hotels. But his sector was one of the first to go into lockdown after strict rules across Europe back in March. How is he coping as a technology lead? How is team coping? And critically, are the principles he's applying as a leader still working under lockdown? So first of all, how are you? Um, everyone's remote working, everyone's had a massive change to their daily routine, both professionally and personally. How are you coping? I'm coping really well. I, I have a background which includes uh, management consultancy, so I've been used to working in, out of a briefcase, frankly, and in multi-client locations, and really quite a lot from home. So from a technology point of view, a sort of loneliness point of view, um, it hasn't been that much of a change for me, so it's, it's worked pretty well. Plus, um, you know, I've done away with the two-hour commute each end, which um, gives me quite a lot of time. <laughs> yeah, benefits, right. And, and your team, are they in agreement with that? I think there's a variety, inevitably. Um, we have furloughed quite a few people, so there are some inevitable tensions about uh, the, those that have worked still and those that are not working, and that, that does give rise to some, some concern, inevitably. But by and large, the team have coped pretty well. We, um, if, if I look at the team, which is technology, then I think everyone has been familiar with this kind of tooling and ways of working, so, so that's gone down really well. If I look at the wider team across the business, and bear in mind, our business is about providing holidays that last a lifetime for, for guests, and the guests want face-to-face -face interaction with the team that are doing that. You know, that's the kind of thing you can't do remotely. So for many of the team, particularly those face-to-face -face with guests, it's a quite a tough time. They're, they're doing what they can to do additional maintenance, improve the propositions, data, all those things on the backlog that you get round to at some stage and, and haven't got round to. Um, so they're, they're okay, but I think the business knows the lifeblood is providing holidays for guests. And if you're not doing that, it is a concern. Yeah, absolutely. And you mentioned your industry there. Obviously, there's a resetting of expectations because clearly many people, or nearly everyone can't go on holiday. So a lot of the business model that is provided for you is taken away. That productivity then of your team um, that raises morale, but also keeps the business going. How are you managing that? And setting expectations not just for your team but also for the for the leadership as well well we've we've exploited technology hugely to do that we were on a journey to um microsoft teams anyway i think uh, we've implemented in three weeks what would have normally taken us 18 months to do not just by way of the technology but more about the culture and the ways of working so we've been exploiting that to to keep the team enthusiastic to do non-work things um, we have an hr team who are extremely 
closely involved with engagement. And you know, we're in a business which is about engagement and making people happy. And we've been applying what we normally do to our guests to our own team. So things like video-based Fridays where we do cooking lessons and we all collaborate, you know, team quizzes. Uh, one, of, one of my groups has what they call a Thursday afternoon pub where they all get a pint and they go through a load of issues with a pint and pretend they're together. And I know these sound silly, they occasionally sound trivial, but actually um, reaching out to individual members of the team in a way that engages them with the broader picture. I think it's been really good. And surprisingly, we used to do stand-ups once a week for a whole range of things. We now do them at eight o'clock every morning. Um, and you see some people looking a bit bleary-eyed, but it has, I think, paradoxically, improved the connection between individual members of the team, despite the fact we're physically separate. Yeah, interesting. There are two things that I'd like to pick out. One is that agile, um, and she, you mentioned about having to quickly update all the technology and, and the working methods you've done that would have taken months of, or maybe even years into a few short weeks. And then there's that pastoral care that every leader is having to take into account by just sort of taking care of your team members and taking care of each other. So, so first of all, that, on the agility side, Guy, how did that uh, come about? Obviously, we're all being forced to be quicker, um, but was your team set up for that or did you have to sort of overcome some challenges in order to become so quick off the mark? We, we did have to overcome some challenges. I think um, within a, a subset of the technology team, we've been using the technology for a while, you know, being our own guinea pigs, if you like. Uh, what we hadn't done was create user guides, you know, quick start guides, how to do this. And what we hadn't done either was to define some of the etiquette, the ways of working that, that normally the, the professionals will tell you is a necessary prerequisite for running this kind of stuff out. So what we did was um, go out and buy loads of laptops for those team members who only have desktops and ship them to their houses pre-set up and said, you know, here's how you log in, get on with it. And interestingly, what we've done is generate a very much a self-help peer-to-peer uh, -peer community for understanding how best to use this rather than a top-down drive of standards, etiquette, processes. And I think actually it's produced a better result. People have discovered for themselves. I think the other thing is we've been very tolerant of mistakes. Um, clearly not mistakes in security or privacy or those kind of things, but a recognition that uh, distributed working is a different way of working and we won't get it right first time. The trick is to recover from getting it wrong and, and do it quickly. And so, so I think people have actually quite enjoyed the process. And we've opened up the use of our technology for, for um, family as well so they can create family activity and we've shown that it's not just something you do to have formal meetings, you can, you can make it work across the piece. And so I think we will be in a very different place when we all go back to work as a result of the tech. Um, one example, you know, we were talking about the size of the head office and the fact that we were jammed in and that ever work and need to look at new property. That'll not happen now. We took um, close to 300 contact centre team who frankly are extraordinarily busy with refunds for cancelled holidays, all that kind of thing. Um, and we made them work from home. And the tech, I, I, I keep my fingers crossed, because the tech worked brilliantly well. And the challenge that we've had isn't, isn't tech, it's, you know, I live in a small house and I have to share the kitchen table with my husband and wife and the dog and the children. And, you know, I, I can't find space to it. So the challenges have been, you know, physical rather than technological. Interesting. 
Do you think there's a trade-off from what you're seeing between having that efficient, effective, agile mentality when it comes to equipping your staff with the right technology or trying to mitigate any of the physical issues with the security element of having an entirely remote workforce now? There is. Um, and we've put quite a lot of thought into this. And the, the security team is one of the teams that we have furloughed nobody. And in fact, we've put one or two people into that because, you know, I don't know how familiar you know, the audience is with Teams, but Teams allows you to do mass broadcast live to you know, uh, 250 way upwards, I think to about 5,000 people. Um, so we've started to remove some features that because those are risky and dangerous. You can invite anyone, anyone can invite themselves. So that's just a very small example. But we are um, we're doing two things. One is we're actually making fewer changes and change normally drives risk. So we're doing fewer changes. We've got a smaller team working on this and uh, during the COVID period, we're not gonna make any major systems changes. So that's the first piece. The second piece is we've looked very hard at what the core components of our security uh, needs are. And some of the security projects that we were doing at a possibly a slower, more cautious pace, we've accelerated to make sure they are in place. My, my comment about making mistakes and recovering from them, uh, you know, if we turn on too much security, we can back it out again. But we've done quite a lot on that. And our, our previous security approach had been very much about getting physical teams together to work on these things. The, the, the virtual working for that hasn't, hasn't damaged what we do on security. Um, but the other thing I think is that we've got a lot of people who are being much more flexible in the roles they do. If you, if you furlough half your team, the other half have to still cover 100% of the activities that need to be covered. Mm -hmm. So we have some people working who possibly aren't expert at some of the things they do. And we, we're making sure that the right kind of oversight and peer check is done on that kind of thing. So it sounds like you've done a massive triage of product services teams in order to be the best you can be at the, at the given time. Um, going back to that flexibility you've just mentioned, do you think that's a key skill for the workforce now in order to be a certain type of productive individual for the company right now um, from what you're seeing? Yeah, I, th I think it is. And I think um, one of the things we were in the process of just as COVID struck was trying to define a new operating model and a new organization for technology. Um, we'd done actually months of design and detailed work, but hadn't pressed the button on any of it. And when COVID came down, we decided to stop. I, I think that was really opportune because looking at the way the team's working now, the flexibility across the team, we, I, I will certainly be looking again at how we define work. We were heading towards, and I think it's understandable, a relatively rigid set of roles and responsibilities, the operating model in the rigid way, even though part of the process was lightening it up to grow our digital capability and the agility with which we work. I think what we've demonstrated is um, agile and flexibility isn't restricted to building e-com platforms and building on, online and, and web apps. You can apply it to almost anything you do. It's more of a, a mindset. And I think we've, we've taken that. So for Born Leisure, post-COVID won't be the same as pre-COVID. We will have a different operating model. We'll probably have a different structure. And uh, without kind of wishing to, to create implications that I don't mean, I think we've learned how to work lean. Um, and I think that's been a big eye-opener for us. Some of the sacred cows that we had prior to going into this have been proved to be wrong. Interesting. I mean, it's incredibly good time to be reflective about what works and what doesn't work. Um, looking at your specific sector, I know you mentioned 
how difficult it is because of what's happening. But what specific solutions are you um, seeing working that you could um, maybe share with um, the rest of the Hot Topics community? So I, I'll pick a, a couple. Um, we have a lot of people coming into our, our sites um, and you know whether that's guests coming to check in, we, we have million, literally millions of guests a year. So we've been looking at technology that does things like temperature reading on, on entry. Um, we, you know, we're, we're looking at a system at the moment that can read 100 people a minute passing through a, a, a relatively constrained area and read their temperature to within 0.3 of a degree um, remotely. Um, that's possibly quite important. I think that the difficulty is you have to change your business processes. So if someone comes in who has a temperature, what do you do? The tech's the easy bit, you know, then what do you do from a process? So that's one thing we're looking at. The other is second guessing what the guidelines are going to be about social distancing. And I think those might go on for some time. Um, if I look at our Butlins business model, that's about putting thousands of people into a single location under a sort of single roof. Um, that's clearly going to be a challenge for opening in the longer term. But for things like the hotel businesses, um, we've always been concerned about the amount that guests have to queue to you know, make bookings for spas or, or collect their key card and those kind of things. So one of the projects we're working really hard on is how we have a touchless arrivals process for guests. So you know, they arrive, we recognize them from possibly you know, ANPR on the number plate as they enter the car park, everything is ready for them. They don't actually have to go to the check-in desk at all. They can just turn up to their, to their room and do what they want to do. So, you know, we're some way away from turning that on, but it's work that we'd started in background and we're now doing in foreground to, to make it work. So I think there are lots of technology ways of doing this. We want to make sure that for our guests in caravans and lodges, we can deliver food to the location rather than force them to come to the to the uh, food outlets, you know, the normal food and beverage offering. So, so it's, it's about how we use technology to enhance the experience whilst making sure that the risks that come with COVID and things like that, that we can, we can manage through it. Um, we have to be careful. Privacy and data privacy is critical. You know, tracking individuals around the sites is, is possible. In, in some cases, easy. But um, actually, would you want to do that because it's intrusive? So you have to tread through this quite carefully. But technology does unlock for us uh, ways of working. We can do away with cash entirely on our sites through you know, mobile wallet and, and contactless. Um, and I think um, what's been seen as rather than a facilitator in technology, I think we can be technology led in a number of the things that we're doing. Mm. It sounds very much like you're all focused on short, medium and long term solutions when it comes to um, not just technology, but also customer experience and you know, inter-team culture. Has that um, futuristic outlook always been part of Born Leisure or have you had to curate a type of culture to um, move forward? Um, it sounds very much like a lot of the companies now not just how to be productive but how to be adaptive with their productivity. Um, it'd be interesting to know if that cultural aspect of the organisation has always been a part of, of Born. Born I think has had a bit of a sea change in the last couple of years and it's become much more forward looking. Um, there's, a, there's a relatively new management team that understands how technology can unlock value from the kind of things we do. And I think, so I wouldn't say that being forward looking has been a result of what we've done since COVID. I think what it's done is accelerated some of our thinking. Um, and I think it's allowed us to unlock 
things that I think would have been thought to be too ambitious or too unusual beforehand. So I think we, we, we've, we've made that. But I don't want to leave you with the impression that all we're doing is, is looking forward. I think in our minds, we have two clear things. We have a plan, which is for the next 18 months, say, that gets us out of COVID and allows us to, to relaunch on the revenue and the proposition we want for our guests. And a, and a you know, three, four, five-year plan, which is always what we had in mind, but we're now going into that plan with a much better understanding of how we can do it more quickly, more successfully, and frankly, for lower costs. Because you know, a, a business like Bourne, we are, uh, at the moment, without revenue. We, we've had to close all our parks and our sites, and we've just had to get on with the job. Um, and uh, so cost control, process control, all those things have been critical to making sure we get through this period. Uh, I mean, clearly what, what uh, the Chancellor has done has been helpful in supporting businesses for us, and you know, we think he's been relatively generous. Um, but I think uh, we know that the secret of the future is with us. We have to get out of it in good shape. And you know, without going on about leisure, I think being a predominantly or a wholly UK-based uh, holiday destination business, I think people will come back to domestic holidays faster than they'll come back to international holidays. So we really need to be there and ready towards the end of this year when, when people start taking holidays again. Yeah, exactly. That, that preparedness is so key. And that pastoral care we mentioned very early on in the, in the interview, um, how are you finding that change to your role? I'm assuming now that that wasn't a massive part of your beforehand, apologies. Um, have you found that you're far more personable with your team members now? after having sort of seen into their homes on a daily basis uh, and mitigating any of the issues they have at home? My style has changed in that we, we had a fairly hierarchical view of how you dealt with people and their pastoral needs. You know, you, you go down the hierarchy and cascade, whether that's messages or, you know, formal comms or just checking in on people. It was always done through the through the hierarchy of the cascade. We've gone much flatter as far as those things are concerned. So, you know, I... It's not half my time, but it's not far short of half my time I spend talking to individuals. And almost every call has a third of it being about how are you, what's happening. I know more now about the team that work for me, whether directly or indirectly, and you know the names of their dogs and how they are and uh, you know, their family. And it's not intended to be intrusive, but I think there's something about the environment and the fact that we're the Dunkirk spirit, we're all in this together. Mm -hmm. People are tending to open up and... Uh, you know, we, we had on, on Friday, for example, we had a mass cooking where we were all over teams uh, uh, trying to cook the same things. And you know, they, I, I think it was quite dangerous because you saw one person set fire to, to things. <laughs> and not, but, but actually, it has made it much more open. That's Whether cool. the knock-on has some negatives will be interesting to see because, you know, there are times when you have to have tough conversations and give tough messages. It's been hugely beneficial. Are there any unknown unknowns, previous unknowns, unknowns I should say, that have come to light now, maybe about... Um, what working methods have been working and actually what have been secretly undermining the performance of your team um, that you actually will look, are looking forward to sort of um, siphoning off um, in, the, in the coming weeks? Yeah, I think um, when we were going through the work to define the new operating model organisation, we, we had a concern that uh, there was duplication because we weren't perhaps as descriptive about roles and activities that we had been before. I think the fact that there's now hugely more communication, both up and down and across, we've, we have discovered that what we assumed was a minor problem has probably been a bigger problem than we knew. And I'm not just talking about duplication between brands on the activities that brands are taking. And if you, 
you know, take a small take a small item. You know, every brand has to clean the accommodation that our guests come into. Um, and you might think uh, you could you could have, and these are driven on on apps for for the for the for the cleaning team, so they they know which room to clean and they can report their cleaning and those kind of things. You know, I, we started to get a much better inventory of applications and what we do, and you, you won't believe how many individual cleaning apps we have to manage female cleaning. Off the top of your head, how many? It's about seven, um, and then there are some homegrown ones built by the parks and, and, and teams themselves. So, you know, we're learning about shadow IT and all these things. And, and actually, what I'm really pleased about is there's a huge spirit of openness. And you, you may have thought six months ago people would try perhaps keep quiet. They've got something that they use that is non-standard. Now, now it's hey, I've got this. It's non-standard, but it works. Do you all want to see it? And and I think that will allow us to rationalise and, and take cost out and simplify. I think. The other learning we've got is that no matter how good you think you are about your data, uh, you're never good enough. Um, and in ordinary times, analytics that starts with known assumptions on how we worked last year and adjust them don't work in this kind of environment. So when you start to talk about you know, dynamic pricing of rooms, um, you can't rely on history to inform what you're going to do. You need to go back to the raw data and back to the base process. That's a big learning curve for us as well. Fantastic. And finally, Guy, have any final thoughts on what you've experienced over the last six, seven weeks um, that you'd like to share with um, any of the community who are probably going through uh, similar experiences leading a remote team nationally and globally? Yeah, I think there's a tendency for technology people to think technology is about applications, bits, bytes, you know, cloud hosting infrastructure, that kind of thing. But for me, uh, it's reinforced the fact that technology and IT, whatever wording you want to give it, is a people business. Um, and you, you succeed or fail based on uh, the quality of your team and how you motivate them. And motivation is probably bigger than uh, experience and skill. And I think what I've learned is that you can't over communicate. Uh, you can't do too much to ensure that the team is fully engaged on what you're working on and make sure that everyone knows what's happening. You know, perhaps Six months ago, I just said that's a bit of an overhead. Now it's, I think, fundamental to how we deliver quality to our guests uh, and the end customer. Fantastic. Well, thank you, Guy, very much for your time for the interview. Uh, look forward to see what else happens. Mm -hmm.